Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for the grace. The grace that so changes our lives. For Father, we are hopeless and helpless and headed to a life that has no meaning, has no end, has no hope. But you came and gave us grace. You came and loved us so much that no matter what we face in this world, no matter the valley, no matter the mountaintop, no matter what we're experiencing, that grace is enough. And so, Father, remind us today that whatever we're facing, that you're with us. You can carry us through You can make that joy even sweeter. Lord, your grace is enough. Thank you. Thank you for that. For it's in your son's name we ask and believe all these things. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to go to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 18. Uh, we're going to start a series this morning. I, and, and let me say this. I, out of the pulpit last couple of weeks, I'm trying to, trying to do some catch-up. I think we've covered everybody's questions. So if your question didn't get answered in the hard questions, make sure I know that. And we, I promised we were going to get those answers, but we think we did. So we're going to start a new series today called Tune-Up. Um, everybody in life has to have a tune-up every now and then. Amen? Um, Mike, I was, I was listening to your message last week, and I was thinking three different types of people this week. All week I've been thinking about those three types of people. And as I was preparing for this message, I started thinking about three different types of people when it comes to tune-ups. Um, I grew up in a family. My father was a mechanic by trade. Uncle Sam taught him to do that on airplanes and on, 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 other, vehicle, on other things. And, and then after, after the military, he, he kept doing that career. I learned to turn wrenches when I was six. Six years old, I started doing some things. By the time I was a teenager, dad had his own little side business going on when he got off from work. That was my time with my dad. We, 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 you know, I, can, I can tell you more stories about uh, things I didn't know what I was doing until I pulled it apart. And I would always say to my dad, hey, look, I can take this apart. He said, a mechanic's not one who takes it apart. It's one who can put it back together and it works. And I'd go, well, you better figure that out because <laughs> I got it this far. But... But I was thinking about that because, you know, there are people, there are three different types of people when it comes to cars. Now, all three, well, let's say two of them are all good. One of them, we, we, we'll have some conversations later. But first of all, are those who are able. And think about this. Uh, you can open your hood of your car and you can look and go, yeah, this is a motor. I know what to do. Battery needs to be changed. I can take the, the terminal post off. I, I can pull the battery. I'll go get me a battery put it in. That kind of thing. I can remember as a kid, long before fuel injections, we had carburetors. We still have a couple, few, several cars that have carburetors around our house, and we, we would leave the distributor just a little loose. So we, what we would do to make sure it was a hot rod, we'd get somebody under the hood and say, okay, 
There's the carburetor, carburetor screw. You, you test that, turn that distributor. I'm going to hold the brake and push down. We'll know it's hot when the back tires start spinning. Then we, had her, then we had it looking good. Then we were ready to go out on Friday night. Those are the able people who can get under there and do something. Then there's the unaware people. They pop the hood and go, I ain't got a clue, but I, I'm, a, I'm aware something's not happening here, but I'm unaware of what to do. And those people are good. For example, I had a family member call me one time and said, hey, Ernie, um, can you help us? Uh, we have a car problem. Sure, what, what's your car problem? They live, lived in a different town. So what's your car problem? Um, we need a, uh, our battery is not, we need a new battery. How do, you, how do you get a battery out of the car and what do you do? My response was, can you get it started? Yeah, get it started and drive it to your local parts house. They'll put it in free for you and it'll save you headache time and a lot of anger. And, and those, they went, okay, because I knew their level of skill was the best thing for them is to go let somebody else do it versus them try to do it themselves. Then there's the, just the clueless people. Now, I'm going to ask you if you're able or aware people here in a minute, but I hope you're not the clueless type of people. The clueless type of people are, 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 are like a family member that I've promised I wouldn't tell their name today. I'm going to try. Um, and so they, they were driving a vehicle. We showed up at the house one afternoon for something at, at their place. My father was there. Several of us were there. I get out of the car and I'm like, what is that? Something's been on fire. What is that smoke? I walk up. There's my father. And I said, what is that? Well, that's so-and-so. They've been driving the car and the compressor on the the air conditioner went out and the belt has been smoking for 20, 25, 30 miles. And I was like, what part of them didn't smell that? Don't ask me, son. We just got to fix it. Good luck, dad. Uh, you can't, you know, I just better leave that alone. You just can't fix certain things. So there are the, there are the things, there are the, the aware people, the unaware, and then they're just clueless. And it doesn't matter where you are, except I really hope you're not clueless in the sense that your car's making all that kind of noise and you go, well, I don't know. I hope you get it fixed. But then, you know, those same three things can be true about us spiritually. The able person is the one who recognizes, I know what I need, and it's Jesus. And I know, what the, I know I'm in a dry season, and it's because they can diagnose themselves and go, I can look and go, you know, I haven't been in God's Word in a long time. I, I haven't been to worship. I haven't been praying. I haven't, I, haven't been, I haven't been intimate with God the Father. Then, then there's the people who are aware but don't know. Pastor, I, something's just not right. We, I, you know, we're just struggling spiritually. And, or, or they go to their deacon, they go to a friend. We're just struggling. And, and that person just has to go, well, have you thought of this? Have you, where are you in that? Oh, you know, I never did think about that. Yeah, I, I don't know where my Bible is. That, that's, that may be part of the reason I need to find it and start reading it. 
absorbing God's Word. And then there's the clueless. And the clueless person is the person who just lives their life thinking everything's good and never realizes all the mess they're in and have yet come to the realization that they need Jesus. And so this whole series is about a tune-up. Because the truth of the matter is we all have to have a tune-up. Our cars need tune-ups. Our air conditionings in our houses need tune-ups. Uh, we, we can go through a lot of things in this world that needs tune-ups. But the thing is, we have to just be willing to, to do a tune-up. And sometimes tune-ups can be painful because they're, they're just, they're, they're not comfortable. It's like going to the dentist. It's not always fun. I learned at an early age in a mechanic's shop that, that there are certain things about cars you just don't do or motors. My dad thought he'd play a trick on me when I was 10. He said, hold that spark plug in that lawnmower, and he pulled the cord. Those of you who are, who are unaware of what that would do, just take my word for it. That's probably why I have no hair today. <laughs> thing lit me up last time I did that. But there are moments in life that are just painful, but we have to walk through them. And I wish, listen, I wish I could point to you a Bible verse today that says, come to know Jesus and all life will be glorious. But there's no such thing. From Genesis to Revelation, we find people who've trusted in God, who's followed God, and yet have had difficult moments. David, a man after God's own heart, we see his moments. And you go, well, yeah, he sinned. Okay. Job, a righteous man. And yet, look what happened to him. We have those moments. And we can't always explain those moments. I can't, I can't get up to it and tell you why something happened. But I can tell you the God who can rescue you and give you hope in the middle of it. So let's talk about tune-ups today. And I want to look at Luke chapter 18. Here's the big idea for you today. A strong prayer life is critical to a believer's spiritual life. You agree? A strong prayer life is critical to a believer's spiritual life, which is why believers never, should never stop seeking God's favor. Now look at me. Don't raise your hand. But have you ever come to your place in your life when you've been just so down on things and frustrated in life and struggling that you didn't even pray? You just about gave up. Friends, that's when we need God the most. That's when we should never stop praying. We should keep focus on God. So if you have your Bibles and you're at Luke 18, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Today we're going to focus our attention on prayer. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 18, we'll go through the 14th verse. Now, he told them a parable, this is Jesus telling them a parable on the need for them to pray. Always and always not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God nor respect the people. And a widow in that town kept 
coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I'll give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. That they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You may be seated. This morning as we look at this, as we look at this text... I want you to notice a few things uh, here. Jesus starts off in, in Matthew's, or in Luke's gospel, and he starts with these words here in the 18th chapter. He says, now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray. There's a kicker here that Jesus understands that there is a a need to pray. That, that there is this, this connection between prayer and our spiritual walk and communion with God. And so he, he's telling this parable and it's all on the importance of prayer. And, and notice what he says there at the end of verse uh, 1. Always and not giving up. So pray always and not give up. First thing I would tell you as we look at this text is don't stop praying. Don't stop praying no matter, no matter what happens in this world, no matter how difficult things get, don't stop praying. Because our only hope is found in, in Christ. Why would we then want to stop calling out for him to come help us and rescue us? At the end of chapter 17, 
if you have your Bibles on or open, you see these words. Jesus is having a conversation. He's talking about the time of his return. Two will be there, one will be left, one will be taken. In verse 37, he says, Where, Lord? They ask him. He said to them, Where the corpse is, there are also vultures will be gathered there. In other words, Jesus says, here's what's going to happen. We're going to, on that day, I'm going to take my children home. These corpses are going to be left. Where's that going to be? Where the vultures are. In other words, where the dead are rotting. We get this same sense here as we start uh, chapter 18. Don't stop praying. Because if we pray, if we stop praying, here's what's going to happen. Our culture, we all know which way our culture is going, right? Is it, heaven, is it moving towards heaven or is it moving towards hell? You know that answer, right? It doesn't take a rocket science. Go turn on the news. Go read the paper. We know where culture is going. So if we stop praying, who wins in our world? Satan wins and culture begins to take over. And what is going to be left of that culture is they're going to die and be rotting and vultures are going to be after them. Do you want that for you? I don't want that for me. So rather than giving in to the culture to stop praying and asking God to come rescue us and come help us and come give us wisdom, come give us discernment, I want to be asking God who's going to do all those things. We mustn't stop praying. No matter how dark the valley gets, no matter how deep things get, no matter how much of a struggle. Listen, God's never caught off guard. Amen? I mean, God's not caught off guard. He knew what we would be dealing with today. So let's trust him. And never stop Praying. Paul says it this way in Ephesians, or in, in 1 Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do that by, it's just an attitude. It's an attitude of prayer all day long. It's an attitude of holiness. It's an attitude of seeking God's wisdom. It's an attitude of making sure that it's about his will, not your will. That doesn't mean that you walk around, oh, Father, you know, closing your eyes. Please don't do that while you drive. I, I, I beg of you. Um, but, but, it's an attitude in which you're always, you're always trying to find the favor of God. So that's what we should do, is always do that. So Jesus tells this parable of this unjust judge. I, I love this parable because here, here it's a black and white picture of what we see, that this unjust judge is just like culture. I don't respect God. I don't respect people like this. I don't respect... And here's this woman who just, you get this picture of this frail woman who just keeps coming and coming and coming and begging and begging and begging and asking. Which gives us a picture of what it means to trust. To trust. She's trusting that that unjust judge is someday going to, to do the right thing. For you and me, we may, we are just like this widow. We're nobody. 
I mean, when you think about it, if it wasn't for the grace of God, why would God look down upon us? Do you have anything that you hold over God's head that he would have to save you for? I don't think so. Have you, have you earned your way to heaven? Don't think so. Are you good enough to get into heaven? You don't even have to answer that. We know that answer. So there's nothing. We're just like this widow. Needing. Needing our prayers to be answered. And the difference is God is a just God. He's a God who answers. He's a God who delivers. And in fact, in Luke 11, we read where Jesus says to his disciples, Hey, listen. If an, un, if an ungodly person knows how to give good, good gifts, how much more is your heavenly Father who loves you going to give you good gifts? Don't stop trusting. This, this woman kept coming, kept coming, kept begging. She never stopped. She never gave up. She kept moving. And so then Jesus tells the second parable. And the second parable is an interesting parable because if you look with me at the text there at uh, verse 9, he says, he told this parable to some who trusted in who? Oh, come on, church, you're with me today, right? Trusted in themselves. Do you know people who trust in themselves? Let's be honest. I mean, a lot of us tr would rather trust in ourselves than someone else, amen? I mean, if we're going to be honest, you know, uh, if, 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 if you're going to be honest, you're going to trust in yourself rather than anyone else. We're going on a trip, I, well, I'll just drive. Why? Well, I'd just soon drive than ride with so-and-so. What does that tell you? I don't trust and you, you, you know who that person is. You can go ahead. You don't say it out loud. Don't point. But you know who that person is. You just soon trust in yourself. You know who you would depend on more than anybody else. I was thinking of this the other day. Uh, you know, some of you know because our, on our Wednesday nights I've been telling you my grandmother's 96 and she's had some health concerns. My grandfather, not only was he a pastor, but he also was a farmer. And, and he, he had this beautiful John Deere tractor that, that he, he'd drive. And I could drive anything on the farm but that. And when it came to moving equipment from, from point A to point B when I was a teenager, I wasn't even 16. I could drive his truck wherever I needed to on whatever main highway. But I couldn't drive that John Deere tractor. Well, we'd have to move equipment. Guess who got to drive the John Deere tractor? My 96-year-old grandmother. Now, some of you have heard me tell this story. She stands about eight tall. She weighs about 110, and 95 of it is in her right foot. Let me just tell you, when she put that tractor on the road, it was all it would go. She, you know. Why did he do that? Did he not love me? No, he loved me. Did he not trust me? Well, he trusted me. He trusted her more, right? We, we understand that. We live in that world. And sometimes because we live in that world, when it comes to our relationship with God, we decide we trust ourselves more than we trust God. I mean, think about it. 
Do you turn everything over to God before you make a decision? Or do you make that decision and then ask God to bless it? See, if you, if you make the decision and then ask God to bless it, that means you didn't trust him to give you the answer you wanted. So I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to ask you to make sure I, to bless it. That's not how God, that's not how that works. So Jesus tells the second parable. He's talked about the first, about how we're supposed to, to never stop praying, how we're to trust. But in the second parable, the, the thing I want you to catch is it's not about us. When it comes to praying, it's not about us. Our prayer life is not about us, but about who God is. Look with me again at the text. You find there where, where the Pharisee is standing. And we remember the Pharisee is a religious elite. He's the, he's the deacon of the day. He's the, you think, you, you get the picture. But notice everything about his prayer. God, I don't do these things. I'm not like these people. I'm not unrighteous. I'm not adulterers. But here, listen, listen, God. I'm not like these people, but listen to what I do. I fast twice, twice a week. Now, let me, let me kind of put that into perspective so you have an understanding how, how much he's gloating here. A good Jew is only required to fast one time a year. The Day of Atonement. When it comes to the Passover, that's the moment you're to, to fast. And so what does this righteous, self-righteous person stand and do? Look at me. I got it all going on. Look how good I am. I don't fast just once a year. I fast twice a week. That's how good I am. Twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Look, look, look how good I am. Friends, for so many years we've lived in a world where we, we've measured somebody's spiritual walk by how good they look. Oh, they come to church. They've been faithful in attendance. They dress the right part. They comb their hair the right way. That's what we've, we've decided a Christian should look like. But, but that's never what Scripture taught us. When we do those types of things, are we any better than the Pharisee who stands there and says, hey, look at me. When we pray, it should never be about us, but all about God's glory. This is the fourth thing I want you to see. Is, I want you to see God's glory here. We get to the tax collector. He's standing off to the distance. And why, why, would, he, why would a tax collector stand off to the distance? For a variety of reasons. I don't want to be too close. They may mob me. You know, I take their money for a living. Tax collectors had a, 
had, was, it was a common practice for a tax collector. They had to collect so much money for Rome, and then anything else they wanted to get was for their own pocket. Tax collectors weren't poor people. So that meant that they were not only taking, taking, taking what they needed to for Rome, but they were going to make sure they took enough to, to, for their own pocket. And yet he comes to the temple. No one expects this from a tax collector. And yet Jesus uses this parable, goes from one extreme to the other in people, in Jewish culture. The one that everybody puts on the pedestal says are the righteous and the one that everybody says is the scum of the earth. Tax collectors. And as he does that, he, puts, he paints this picture for them. There's the tax collector, wouldn't even come close, standing there, beating his chest, recognizing it's, it's not me. God have mercy on me, a what, church? Sinner. Listen, that tax collector recognized what prayer is all about. It's about God's glory, not ours. It's about praying and seeking God's glory, not our own glory. God, listen, God calls us all to, to serve him faithfully. Not everyone will ever be called in pastors to be Billy Graham or to be the next evangelist, but we're all called to be faithful. We're all called to take up God's word and proclaim it. And that means that we may go through difficult days and hardships and all these things, but it's never about us. It's always about making him known and about how he works in our life. So in this two parables, we see the idea of not stopping praying. We cannot stop trusting in God, remembering it's not about us, and it's all about him. Which leads me to the last thing I want to point out about this text. In the middle between the two paragraphs, or two, two stories, Jesus says these words in verse 8. I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Catch this now, the end of it. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's the question for you and I. Will he find faith on earth? What will he find? When you look at the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, it's quickly the image that I, comes to my mind is the story of the prodigal son. You see, the prodigal son is a reminder to me of, of just this story, this parable. For you see, you have one son who never left home. He's always been faithful to the father. I've done all you've ever asked. I, I've, I've stayed and I have been committed. I have worked hard. I have done all these things for you. Then you have 
the tax collector, which is the prodigal. Tax collectors are scum of the earth. You can say that about the prodigal. Dad, I wish you were dead. I mean, there's no love relationship there. Dad, I just give me, give me, give me what you got, what I got coming. Let me have it. I don't care what my obligations are to you. I don't care what my obligations are to the family. I want what I get. Let me have it. Loving father lets him go. But the prodigal soon comes home realizing the mistakes he's made. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector are much like the prodigal and his older brother. Too many times we're like the older brother, but I deserve. When we need to be more like the prodigal and recognize no matter who we are, we're a sinner and needing God's grace. So the question is, what will God find when he comes? We know through history and through scripture as God has returned, he's come and he's found only a handful. Now because of the cross, we have a different look. God's not coming to rescue a nation, he's coming to rescue individuals. But before the cross, when we see in the Old Testament, when God came to Noah, there were only eight people worthy of rescuing. He put them on the ark. The rest were caught up and died. We read in Sodom and Gomorrah, God comes to destroy that town. Abraham begs, hey, if, you've, if, we, if we can find a handful of people, if we can find all these people, They found four. And even one of them turned and looked back. The good news for you and for me, my salvation is not based on you and your salvation is not based on me. It's all based on Jesus Christ. So the question for us today is when he comes back, how will, how will he find us? What will it look like? As I was preparing for this message, C.S. Lewis, in his letter, uh, letters to Malcolm, wrote this line when he talked about prayer. We must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Stop and think about that a moment. When we come to pray, we need to pray what's in us, not what ought to be in us. We need to confess where we really are, not lie and where we ought to be. One scholar wrote this. Prayer has a purpose. Prayer is meant to affect our philosophy, our way of thinking. It's not a voicemail where we leave requests. It's not a helpline where insight can be gained to fix a part of one's life. It's not a therapy couch where one can dump his heartaches and receive an understanding gaze. Prayer is not a bank where money can be obtained to fund a life of ease. Some of these aspects are included in prayer, but they are not what prayer is. Catch this, folks. 
Prayer is a place where our minds are changed from being carnal bent to being permeated with holiness. Carnal bent, permeated holiness. Sometimes we need a tune-up to remind ourselves why we pray. This morning, in just a second, we'll sing our hymn of invitation. And I'm going to invite you to respond however God leads you to respond in that time. For some of you, it may be just to sit there quietly in your pew and and come to a place of prayer and recognizing where you are and and asking God to, to help, to lead. For others of you, you... You may have more questions than you have answers. And if that's the case this morning, we want to help you with that. Uh, During the the invitation, if you want to come, I'll meet you here. Or you can just go on right outside these doors. Mike Thomason will be out there. J.J. Poole, our pastors will be out there. They'd love to talk to you, pray with you, whatever the questions may be. But here's the thing. Prayer is critical to our spiritual life. And so if it's not working, if it's not functioning in your life, you've got to stop and ask yourself, why and where am I? Chances are you're not like the persistent widow. Maybe you've just given up. Maybe you spend more of your time praying, seeking God to answer your questions and not glorifying Him. Maybe you've turned your prayer life into all about you and missing that it's all about God. Whatever the case may be this morning, would you respond to the gospel? If you're here and you've never confessed Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today we invite you to do that. Because you're, you're never going to have a communion with God. You're never going to have a prayer life without a relationship with God. So today, maybe that's your step. Whatever that is, would you respond? Would you stand with us?